Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Wall Street continuing to price in the new war risk premium as the fighting in Israel and Gaza enters its fourth day. Investors, however, they remain on edge over fears of growing regional conflict and what new comments from Saudi Arabia and China mean for the markets. Also, the flight to safety still well underway as investors all around the world, they push into U.S. Treasuries, sending yields to their lowest levels in weeks. Plus, we will speak with a major Israeli employer about what they're telling their staff about this conflict and the future of doing business in Israel. And then later in the show, despite the yield reversal, the rate shock remains very real for many, especially in one key U.S. sector, that is housing. It is Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a positive session for Wall Street that saw stocks reverse some early losses. Take a look this morning. We're seeing green across the board. The Dow looks like it opened up about 75 points higher. Both the S&P and the Nasdaq up just under a quarter of a percent right now. But as always, we do say it's early. So among the driving the drivers for the buying yesterday, that was energy on the heels of a massive move higher in oil and its best day since April. You can see right here uh, they asked the energy sector moving about three and a half percent higher. Names like Halliburton and Marathon both ending the day up more than six percent. This morning, you can see right now in the pre-market, we're seeing Marathon Oil up a half a percent. The best performer out of this group, but ExxonMobil, Halliburton, Chevron and BP, PLC all up solidly in the green in the pre-market. We'll continue to watch these stocks. Defense also coming off a banner day with the Aerospace and Defense ETF seeing its best session since November of 2020. Leaders include Northrop Grunman and L3 Harris. You can see this ETF ended up just about three quarters of a percent higher, five percent higher over the last week. And looking at defense stocks right now in the pre-market, Crado's defense right here at the bottom up over one percent. The rest of this basket also moving higher. L3 Harris up almost one percent. Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grunman up just about a third of a percent. All right. Now we're turning to treasuries. They were closed for trading yesterday. This morning, we're seeing a sharp reversal across the curve as investors all around the world. They pile into the perceived safety of U.S. debt. Take a look. This is the benchmark right now at four point six five. Well off of its highs that we saw earlier uh, in the month and just uh, just last week. Right now, you see the very steep drop here. Uh, when it comes to Treasury yields, remember, prices move inversely to yields. So you're seeing that steep drop again as more investors pile into U.S. Treasuries for safety. And of course, we're also watching the energy market. As we said, oil coming off of a very huge day yesterday on geopolitical concerns. Right now, the market basically flat in the pre-market. WTI, the U.S. benchmark at 86.38 right now, actually completely flat. You saw it was just fractionally lower a second ago, now fractionally higher. Brent crude, the international benchmark at 88.16, just fractionally higher right now, essentially flat. Similar story for natural gas. 
Okay, that's the setup for the U.S. markets. Now, we want to turn our attention to the war in Israel. Now in its fourth day, Israel maintains it remains in full control over its border with Gaza and that all southern areas of the country remain secure. On its airstrikes in Gaza, military officials say parliament and civilian ministries are legitimate targets despite warnings from Hamas that any strike on targets in the region without warning will result in the death of one of its 150-plus hostages. We're also hearing from Iran's supreme leader this morning, praising the efforts of Hamas fighters and saying it was not involved in Saturday's attacks. We have global coverage this morning. Covering every angle of this story, we have NBC's Kelly Kobiea. She's live in Tel Aviv. Our J.P. Ong is standing by in Singapore, and our Dan Murphy is in Dubai. Kelly, we begin with you. Frank, good morning. Israel pushing forward with its counteroffensive this morning with some 200 strikes on Hamas and Islamic Jihad positions in the Gaza Strip. They say that uh, Israeli fighter jets hit uh, a number of positions, including what they say was a mosque uh, used to store weapons. Meantime, Hamas is saying through one of its uh, spokespeople in exile in Beirut, uh, telling the AP that they will use those hostages as uh, bargaining chips, essentially, to get prisoners released uh, here in Israel, as well as international. Nationally, They also say that they are digging in for a long war and that they have the ammunition, the supplies to carry out a long war from the Gaza Strip. Meantime, concerns are uh, escalating for those more than 150 captives inside Gaza. Uh, unclear where they're being held, but uh, after yesterday, uh, yesterday's statement by Hamas that they would be, uh, they would be prepared to execute one uh, hostage for every Every uh, civilian residential home that is hit without warning, essentially saying, if you're going to kill our civilians, we are going to kill yours as well. Uh, no word on the status of any of those hostages overnight or into the morning. Uh, but we are hearing that among those killed, captured uh, or missing in all of this are a number of foreign nationals. Thailand confirming that 12 of its nationals were killed. Also among the killed, captured and missing are uh, French, Ukrainians, Americans and Nepalese, among uh, many others. In Gaza, the, con the conditions are getting much, much worse this morning. Uh, nearly 700 killed, among them more than 200 women and children, according to Gaza health officials. Uh, there's a disturbing video coming out of rescue workers pulling children uh, from collapsed buildings there and into hospitals, into ambulances. Uh, the United Nations saying that hospitals are just barely functioning there, running out of medicine and fuel to supply those generators. So a really tough situation for civilians inside Gaza as well, Frank. All right, Kelly, thank you very much. Kelly Kobiea, live in Tel Aviv. Thank you again. All right, elsewhere in the Middle East, we're now hearing from another major player in the region, that is Saudi Arabia, as comments from the kingdom will be a closely watched metric when it comes to ongoing conversations with U.S. officials in the days ahead. Our Dan Murphy joins me now from Dubai with much more on that part of the story. Dan, what's the latest? Well, Frank, America's partners here in the Gulf, like Saudi Arabia and the UAE, have condemned this violence and called to halt escalation in Gaza 
But the Arab states have, of course, also expressed some concern about the plight of the Palestinians and the potential for this conflict to spill over into the region, which would, of course, cause oil prices to spike and big risk asset volatility. Uh, Saudi Arabia's crown prince held calls with regional leaders in the last few hours, saying his country stands by the Palestinians, not with Hamas terrorists, but by the Palestinians. And that is critical as President Biden seeks to find a way forward on a potential Saudi-Israeli normalization agreement, which would be the holy grail of Middle East peace deals. We know that Saudi Arabia wants Israeli concessions for the Palestinians, but Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza now makes that look much less likely. Uh, meanwhile, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over in Israel has ordered what he's now calling a full siege of Gaza and also vowed to take revenge against Hamas for this attack. Frank, he says that retaliation effort is only just getting started. All right, Dan, thank you very much. Our Dan Murphy live in Dubai. So around the world, China, another country with major interest in the Middle East, amending earlier comments about the crisis after a rare face-to-face -face between U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer and China's President Xi Jinping. J.P. Ong joins me now from Singapore with more on this part of the story. J.P., over to you. Yes, Frank, good morning to you guys. And the events that happened in Israel really threatened also to complicate and drive a further wedge between efforts by the United States and China to try and at least improve relations between these two, uh, these two major countries. Now, as we know, the conflict, the attacks on Israel and the subsequent declaration of Israel of war on Hamas happened over the weekend leading up to Senator Charles Schumer leading that delegation of senators to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping. And ahead of that, the Chinese Forest Ministry issued a statement with regards to the conflict in Israel, where while they did call for more, uh, for, uh, for more peace and cooler heads. They also were seen as uh, perhaps pushing forward what they said was the only solution, which was establishing the two-state solution or the establishment of an independent state of Palestine. Now, this was seen as insensitive, to say the least, and also seen as being um, not cognizant of the, uh, of, the, of the attacks and the casualties that were resulted, the hundreds of people who died on the, uh, from the, as a result of the attack on Israel. This was also echoed by Senator Charles Schumer when he said he was disappointed when he met with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi before meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Here's exactly what he told the Foreign Minister of China leading up to his meeting with the Chinese President. I told him how deeply disappointed I was. You heard me. I think some of you were in the room when I actually said it. How deeply disappointed I was in the initial statement, and they rectified that. We also, a bunch of us, made the request that China use its influence on Iran to not allow the conflagration to spread. Now, just after those remarks by Senator Schumer, the Chinese Foreign Ministry actually issued a new statement where they said that they are deeply saddened by the civilian casualties and oppose and condemn acts that harm civilians and will oppose moves that escalate the conflict and destabilize the region. In response to that, Senator Schumer did say that he's gratified the Foreign Ministry has issued a new statement that did condemn the loss of civilian life. So perhaps there are signs that both the China and the U.S. are starting to get on the same page with regards to the ongoing conflict, but this is a major test not just of whether or not the U.S. and China can improve relations between arguably the two most influential and powerful countries in the world, but also a test as to whether or not these two countries, despite their difference, can put this aside and look and actually act in more concert towards helping resolve issues that might be bigger than conflicts between the United States and China. Frank, it's back to you. All right, JP, thank you very much. Our JP Ong, live in Singapore.
So despite the rising Mideast tensions and the growing rhetoric from leaders all around the world, U.S. investors, they remain largely unscathed, with the S&P coming off its second straight day of gains. As we noted just a moment ago, the real action today is in the bond market, with a flight to safety pushing yields to their lowest levels in weeks. The conflict also causing investors to assess the potential impact on the Fed and its next policy decision. With the CME FedWatch tool now showing an 84 percent chance the central bank takes no action at its November meeting, that's up from nearly 73 percent on Friday. For much more, let's bring in Mark Avalon, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. All right. So, again, we saw the markets end up higher despite the uh, concerns over the conflict over there in Israel. And the FedWatch tool is saying we have an increased chance of the Fed taking no decision or actually deciding not to hike uh, at its next meeting coming up in November. Do you agree with that opinion? And do you, do you believe is that the reason why we saw markets end higher yesterday? Well, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you have some some really uh, terrible headlines across the world. We still have the, the Ukraine-Russia war and now this tragedy that's happening over in Gaza. And yet the stock markets rally. And that just comes down to the fact that interest rates dropped due to the flight to safety. But don't forget, there was a lot of pillow talk coming from the Fed heads yesterday and they were underscoring the fact that they're aware that they may be near or at the end of the rate hike cycle. And I've said before, the biggest driver for this market is Jerome Powerful. He is the number one factor that could tilt stocks to the positive if the Fed continues this, this pillow talk and sweet rhetoric and keep whispering what the market investors want to hear. Then I think we see a stock market rally. But short okay. of that, I think there's just cautionary signals. All right. To your point, we have four Fed speakers speaking later today. Also, I talked about earnings season begins this week. Um, Taking a look at the estimates right now. So the estimates have some earnings growth for Q3, modest growth, but still uh, earnings growth for Q3. Does the rise in oil prices and the potential for an even sharper rise, does that change that narrative in your mind about Q3 earnings? Well, it'll help earnings in the energy sector, but across the board, the inputs that oil have negatively impact earnings. So do wages. And I know in some sectors we have some some wage compression and it's helping the overall inflation number. But in other industries, we're seeing significant wage hikes. Mack truck, just those workers that were this close to signing on a deal, they walked away. You have pilots. Um, You also have the obviously the auto workers, but you have healthcare workers striking. And these wage gains across the board are going to impact both earnings or inflation. Can't go any other way. The higher wage component will either lower prices, uh, earnings, or they will raise inflation. And earnings historically are inversely related to stock prices. That's another cautionary sign that I think the market might be slightly under undertaking right now. All right, Mark Avalon, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on the war in the Middle East as we speak with a major Israeli employer. And we're going to tell you what they're telling staff about the conflict and the future of doing business in that region. Plus, on Wall Street earnings, season just getting underway. We get set for PepsiCo results in just about one hour from now. We're going to tell you what you need to know ahead of that report. And then later, the rate risk hits housing. Our Diana Olick lays out the state of play for potential buyers and sellers in this higher for longer market. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. 
Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The conflict in Israel entering its fourth day today as countries are racing to evacuate citizens from that country. A number of global companies temporarily shutting down operations in Israel and asking their employees to work from homes. Uh, names with exposure to Israel, they include Delta Airlines, Chevron, J.P. Morgan, and many others. Joining me now from Tel Aviv is Dana Dika, CEO of WalkMe, a multinational software company with headquarters in San Francisco, North Carolina, and Israel. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I know this is a very difficult time for yourself, your family, uh, a lot of your employees. So thank you again for making time to speak to us. I do want to ask you um, emotionally, how are you doing? How are your employees doing? And also, how is this Hamas attack impacting your operations? Sure. So personally, it's just hard. It's hard uh, seeing those images, videos. Um, I don't think a normal human being can even process it. Um, Obviously, the attack was a surprise attack. The casualty is just going up. Just uh, let's let's understand the magnitude. We are we are seven eight million in population, and and the attack was over thousand people right now, as they saying. Just just understand that almost every WalkMe employee knows someone personally that got hurt, kidnapped, or murdered. So. It's the most difficult time that that I experienced, and I've been in the Lebanon war, um, and it's just it's just hard. Yeah, can, now, well, Dan, I can I can only imagine. And again, thank you for making the time to talk to us during what has to be a difficult time, as you mentioned. So many of your employees are impacted by all this. Um, I do want to ask you again about operations. Obviously, you're a multinational company. You do have offices here in the U.S. as well as in Israel. But are our operations, are they being impacted negatively by everything that's going on? I would tell you that actually the opposite. Uh, we have 1,000 employees, over 1,000 employees worldwide, um, over 500 in the U.S., 400 in Tel Aviv. And Hamas want to obviously hit us and hit our economy as well. Our team doing phenomenal job. Uh, they're all recruited together and they're working as hard as they can to win that mission. And obviously we're hosting the cloud, our, our servers are in the U.S. And, and we're just working in shifts, people working from home. Some people drafted to the army and some people just can't work emotionally. But I wrote to the company yesterday, I saw the worst of humanity and the most amazing in humanity in the past 24 hours. And to see how everybody is working together, collaborating, 
we're gonna we're gonna prevail and it's just amazing to see and and it's just sad it's just sad all right certainly an emotional time and then you actually uh put out a very emotional LinkedIn post where people can read a lot more about your thoughts about the situation. I do want to talk to you about the business impact of what's going on in Israel and the business impact of the Hamas attacks. Your stock, it did close lower yesterday, significantly lower than the broader market. I'm looking at a, just a list of some other Israeli-based companies, including SolarEdge, Checkpoint, uh, Tiva Pharmaceuticals, all falling lower, clearly on investor concerns about what's going on there. What would you say to investors about the conflict and the long-term impact on your business? So obviously every time there is a crisis, uh, people are taking a measure of uh, uh, checks and balances, and usually you see the drop, and yes, most of tech Israeli companies uh, got uh, a better de- greater decline than the rest. Um, on the longer term, we're gonna be much, much, much stronger. Uh, look, we are innovative. Um, obviously, most of our customers are not in Israel or in the U.S. and Europe. So the real impact is non-exist, obviously, uh, but obviously the perception is there. Israel is a strong country, strong nation, and I don't think it will affect us uh, whatsoever. And having said that, I do think that there is a lot of work that we need to do to talk with investors, explaining them what's going on, uh, be transparent with the situation. And we have obviously a business continuity plan um, for whatever will happen here. We have a strong team in the US. We have a strong team in Europe, Japan, Australia. And most of the Israeli companies are operate the, the same way. Obviously, we're using cloud, so nothing is actually hosted here in Israel. And so I don't foresee any real impact, just big morale issues, I would say, right now, making sure the employees can just pick their head up and and continue to work as they usually worked. Um, And that's, I think, a mission for every CEO in Israeli tech, um, lead by example. And it's just a challenging time um, and we'll overcome it. Dan, again, thank you for talking to us during this difficult time. Uh, Dan Adika, co-founder and CEO of WalkMe. Uh, again, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We have much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Pepsi shares are on the rise this morning ahead of earnings in just over an hour. Still, the stock is down about 10% year-to-date, slightly underperforming the consumer staple sector, which is the second worst performing S&P sector this year. For the quarter, revenue is forecast to increase by 6.5%, while profits expected to grow by just over 9%. The key area to watch, growth in PepsiCo's drinks division in North America, which makes up 30% of revenue, and its Frito-Lay's business in North America, accounting for about 26% of revenue. The report coming after PepsiCo raised prices by double digits last year and delivered strong growth for both snacks and drinks in the first half of this year. However, analysts are questioning 
how a potentially stretched consumer and trading downtrends will impact pricing power and how increasingly mainstreamed weight loss drugs could weigh on sales. Joining me now with his expectations for the quarter is Jeremy Goldberg, Portfolio Manager at Professional Advisory Services, number 57 on CNBC's Financial Advisor 100 list and a longtime shareholder of PepsiCo. Jeremy, good morning. Thanks for being here. Frank, thank you so much for having me. All right. So just looking at the numbers right now, um, analysts, they have an average buy rating on Pepsi, average price target of 194. That's a 20 percent upside. Are you as bullish as the analysts are? And what are you looking for in today's report? Well, I I hate to 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 create short term predictions on a stock like Pepsi. We've been long term holders since 1984. So we're very familiar with Pepsi's performance through different economic cycles, through different inflation and interest rate environments, too. So taking a step back, demand for snacks and beverages typically remains resilient during economic cycles. That was on full display in the most recent quarter when Pepsi was able to do a beat and raise quarter. They beat on the top line. Revenue organic growth was up 13 percent. They beat on the bottom line. They increased expectations for fiscal year on the top and bottom line, too. That's not happening often. So that is proof of their purchasing power. We expect that purchasing power to remain intact. We're interested to see what's going to change. Are they able to continue increasing prices? Um, How is the consumer feeling? Our expectation is that they're going to keep doing okay. All right, let me ask you how you're feeling. I want to talk about valuation in this higher for longer environment. All week long, we're talking about the increase in bond yields. Obviously, they've eased back after what happened in Israel uh, as investors go to safety, but still elevated historically right now. Looking at Pepsi's forward earnings, about 20 times forward earnings, pretty close to rival Coke when it comes to P.E. Um, Are you comfortable with that valuation as a long-term shareholder? You bet. So there have been times where Pepsi has traded well above 25 times earnings, in addition to last year when it did back in the late 90s. And there have been times where it's been a a 15 P.E. stock. If we look at the trajectory of earnings through 2027, we expect somewhere around 8 percent annualized growth on earnings. Then we have a 3.2 percent dividend yield that is strongly covered and growing 5 percent per year. So 8 percent earnings growth plus 3.2% dividend yield gives us a double-digit, a low double-digit return. Then from a valuation perspective, we think, call it 21 to 22 times forward earnings is fair. So there may be a little bit of a valuation expansion, a multiple expansion. All right, Jeremy, we're looking at the portfolio of products for PepsiCo right now. Doritos, I'm a big fan. Um, I like to eat a lot of them, but there is some concern about Ozempic and other weight loss drugs. Uh, Pepsi shares have actually fallen pretty hard since a Walmart executive flagged the weight weight loss drug risk to their business. Um, Are you concerned long term about that when it comes to Pepsi stock? I'm not as concerned long term. I think at the center of Pepsi's portfolio product innovations are zero sugar products. So in addition to the zero sugar products, of course, they have Life Water and Aquafina. They have partnerships with Tropicana Brands Group. So they're they're able to distribute and sell zero sugar juices and other plant-based products. They also have healthy snacks. So I think they can capture or maintain some of the, the healthy okay. eaters that they currently have. But more importantly, Wait, Jeremy, uh, we got to leave the conversation there. We really appreciate you having here. Sure. Jeremy Goldberg, your firm, a holder since 1984. Definitely part of the Pepsi generation. We appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, what C-suites around the world are saying about the war in Israel and what my next guest is telling them and what my next guest is telling them in response. We are back with much more Worldwide Exchange after this.
It is right around 5.30 a.m. in New York, and there's still a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks are looking to keep up the momentum after pulling a U-turn to kick off the week in the green. Futures now working to hold on to gains. Investors are also closely watching the dramatic developments out of Israel as global corporations try to navigate the violence. Former City Chief Global Political Analyst Tina Fordham, she's standing by with what high-profile clients are telling her. And our week-long special on managing your money in a world of rising rates, it continues as we dive into what higher for longer means for the red-hot red hot housing market. It is, it is Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. You can see right here, you're in the green across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up about 65 points higher right now, a bit off of its highs of earlier this morning. So despite the gains yesterday, airline stocks, they got hit pretty hard. A number of, of airlines calling off flights into Israel due to the conflict and the, spro- and the prospect of rising oil prices. You can see right here, the Jets ETF, this is the global plane ETF, taking a hard move to the downside yesterday, down uh, about a third of a percent for the week and falling two and a half percent on the day just yesterday. Taking a look at airline stocks this morning, seeing a bit of a rebound. Uh, United, American and Delta solidly in the green. Delta, they're doing the best out of all of them, up almost one percent. You can still see pressure on JetBlue and Southwest right now. Right now, we also want to turn to treasuries. They were closed yesterday for trading. This morning, seeing a sharp reversal across the curve as investors all around the world, they pile into the perceived safety of U.S. debt. We're going to take a look at the benchmark 10-year right now at 4.66, well off its levels of just a few days ago and a few weeks ago where we saw it hitting up uh, around 5%. You see the sharp move to the downside here. Again, as investors go to the bond market for safety, remember, yields move inversely to prices. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil, coming off its best day since April, seeing a bit of a turn this morning. You can see in the red across the board when it comes to oil, uh, WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark, just down fractionally right now. Uh, Brent crude, similar story at 88.10, down fractionally, and natural gas, same thing. But you can see there's been a, a strong move to the upside for natural gas in recent weeks. And we also want to check how the early trading over in Europe is shaping up right now at this hour. Take a look right now. You can see uh, the German DAX up over one and a half percent. Similar story for the Italian FTSE and the Spain IBEX. Um, all of them doing well across the board up right around one and a half percent. All right. That is your setup for this Tuesday. Now we want to turn to a developing story and a continually breaking story this morning. The war in Israel. It's now in its fourth day. Israel's military is preparing for what could be an extended ground assault in the Gaza Strip. Currently amassing troops at the border. Also, Israel maintaining it is, ta- is retaking control in, of its southern region. As of this morning, more than 900 Israelis have been confirmed dead, along with some 700 Palestinians. And Hamas warning against future airstrikes in Gaza, threatening to kill one of its 150-plus hostages if Israel attacks without warning. All of this as companies around the world have been expecting a thawing of tensions in the Gulf region before Saturday morning's surprise attacks. Joining me now is Tina Fordham, founder and geopolitical strategist at Fordham Global Foresight and a former city chief global political analyst. Tina, good morning. Thank you for being here. Morning, Frank. All right. So yesterday we saw the markets end in the green despite some of the geopolitical uh, concerns. I know you're talking to a lot of your clients, a lot of them CEOs and high level executives. What are you telling them about the, uh, the risk to their business? Thank you. I mean, I had a lot of calls over the weekend and a very busy week ahead because a lot of boards and XCOMs 
have been looking carefully at the Russia-Ukraine war and, of course, China-Taiwan risks. Um, but most had seen the situation in the Middle East on a on a positive trend. And, of course, we've had uh, optimism about normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel, which would have been a huge boom to commercial integration in the region. Um, the Hamas attack has not only put the possibility of normalization of relations uh, on the shelf, it's opened up where we are now, which is a full-scale war. I think that has caught executives off guard. And judging by what I see coming out from an participants. So, Tina, we're having some uh, issues with your signal right now, but I want to keep the conversation going. Um, I know you're saying this caught a lot of executives off guard, but it certainly did not catch you off guard. You recently put out some research on the new geopolitical risk super cycle. You say the Ukraine war was a catalyst for this super cycle. Um, as you're talking to them about the risk of their business long term and the geopolitical risk, how are you characterizing that? What should investors and executives be mindful of going forward? There are a couple of points. One is that the strategic context that we have today is very different from 2006, uh, the last time there was a big uptick in tensions. We don't have QE. Uh, markets are most concerned about higher for longer. Well, geopolitical risk feeds straight into that. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, we're at a time when people are a bit out of practice uh, at pricing geopolitical risk. Um, it's a much more complex outlook for all of these factors. We don't have a speaker in the U.S. House of Representatives. We can't get aid passed. We don't have an ambassador in Israel. These are small things taken individually, but taken together, uh, a unified response, uh, maintaining a dual response for both supporting Israel uh, and Ukraine becomes more complicated. What investors need to understand and business leaders is that we're not in a world anymore of tail risks okay. uh, and a base case scenario. We need to look at plausible scenarios, and there is a very plausible scenario for uh, escalation of both Russia-Ukraine and the war in Israel. All right, certainly a lot to be mindful there. I also want to talk to you about energy prices, specifically oil, pretty much flat right now, but we have seen a rise in oil prices um, when it comes to both inflation and also supply, what are your clients telling you? What are you telling them about the inflation risk and also potentially a supply risk if this does escalate? I mean, most investment strategists are, are pointing out rightly that Israel is not a producer of energy and that even the two Gulf Wars, for example, really didn't do much to impede supply. I put it slightly differently, at least in a macro context. We've got the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine impacting food security. And one of the risks uh, of escalation in Israel is uh, an attack on Iran's nuclear facilities, which could lead to uh, more issues with supply chains. We're always looking for a transmission mechanism that will take regional shocks to becoming systemic. Both Russia and Ukraine and Israel have the potential to become systemic, again, against this much weaker economic and monetary policy backdrop. All right. Tina Fordham, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insight. We always appreciate it. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our week-long special series diving into sectors most impacted by rising rates. It rolls on. We're going to tell you what it means for the housing market's resilience 
Much more Worldwide Exchange coming back in just one moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Treasury yields are pulling back today as investors snap up safe haven assets such as gold and U.S. bonds. But the yield on the 10-year is still up sharply since the beginning of September, trading at the highest level since the financial crisis as recently as last week and flirting with 5%. That's pushed mortgage rates towards what many see as a psychological mark for the housing market, 8%. Our Diana Olick joins us now. Diana, good morning. Could 8% mortgages... Could they keep potential home buyers, even more of them, on the sidelines? Well, they absolutely are, Frank. Look, the housing market is in a very different place than it was just a month ago. The average rate on the 30-year fixed mortgage, as you said, started September right around 7%. Now it's heading toward 8 with a sharp jump in just the last two weeks. Now, to get a picture of how much the affordability has been crushed, you know I'm going to do some math here. So if you're buying a $400,000 home today with 20% down on a 30-year fixed, you're paying roughly $965 more, more a month than you would have just two years ago when rates were around 3%, and that was before the Fed started hiking rates. That doesn't even factor in that the same home is now 40% more expensive than it was at the start of the pandemic. Now, we went to a Sunday open house here in D.C. to see the effect over the weekend. There were a lot of buyers out looking, but that's all they were doing. They were just looking. In this first two weeks of October, as anticipated, inventory has taken a jump. But then because interest rates have taken a jump, too, we're seeing more houses. But honestly, it's anecdotally out here in the streets, we're seeing less buyers. Lots of traffic, but not a lot of actual shoppers. Resch added that some buyers who qualified for loans over the summer no longer do at the current rate. Now, most buyers I spoke with said they're now waiting to see what effect this higher rate will have on both demand and home prices. You probably have a very low mortgage rate on your current mortgage, yes? Yes. Everybody's got 3%, right? Yes. <laughs> so it makes it really difficult to, you know, uh, to purchase a home at a much higher interest rate, yeah. Um, so it makes it easier to kind of hunker down and wait a little bit longer um, until, you know, the market normalizes a little bit. The question now is, of course, do you bite the bullet and buy at the higher rate today or wait until rates come down? But that may cause a feeding frenzy where you'll end up in a bidding war. Frank, it's kind of a wash. Eight <laughs> percent mortgage. I mean, it's just hard to believe. You know, I know historically that's not high, but right now I, I can't imagine moving if your, your rate's under five percent, Diana. All right, Diana, stay with us. We want to bring you into a broader conversation with Chris Derittis, Deputy Chief Economist at Moody Analytics. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. So, Chris, you just put out some research a few days ago saying that interest rates are headed up towards 8 percent. Obviously, we've seen a big disruption over the weekend with the incident in Israel. Are we still on path for an 8 percent mortgage? And if so, what does that mean long term? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uncertainties in the short term here. And rates are coming in, as you reported earlier. But uh, there are still lots of reasons for rates to continue their climb upward. So this might be a temporary reprieve here, but likely the path forward is still upward, if not 8 percent, pretty close. So it's it's going to continue to be a, a strain for potential home buyers in terms of their monthly mortgage payments. Yeah, let's talk about exactly what that strain means. So obviously an 8 percent mortgage means your payment's going to be higher. Diana, with some great research. So people are paying 965 bucks more a month on a $400,000 house than they would have two years ago. That's that's a number right there. So what does that mean in, in real term when it comes to the way the incomes have risen and also other inflationary impacts on the economy and the consumer? What does that mean when it comes to not only affordability, but the people even 
having the willingness to stretch to buy a home right now? Yeah, it is a stretch. So it, it, the uh, increase in mortgage payments clearly is outpacing incomes, even though we've had some relatively strong income growth, particularly for lower income households. It's not enough to really offset the, the increase in those in those mortgage payments. So you have a lot of uh, renters who are just sitting it out, right? They're moving to the sidelines and they're not able to, to afford a, a property. And even if they could, right, the volume of uh, inventory is just so low that you can't find a house very easily in your in your price range. So it's a, it's pretty much a frozen market right now with both buyers and sellers kind of waiting it out to see what happens next. All right. So renters also weighing it out. Dan, I want to come back over to you. Um, again, we're concerned about mortgage rates hitting 8%. Is there a rate that would bring buyers back into the market? Is it simply going back down to 7%? Is there actually a magic number? Well, actually, there's been some research done on this, and you tend to see more buyers come back in around the 6% range because they think rates are coming down. But John Burns of John Burns Real Estate Consulting, who does a lot of work with the builders, et cetera, said 5.5% was actually the magic number, that that would bring people more into affordability, more into feeling better about the market and closer at least to that 3% that we had just two years ago. But again, from the people I spoke with over the weekend, they just wanted it to come back down into the 6% range so that they felt that they weren't buying at the top of the mortgage market. Because as you know, home buying is an incredibly emotional process and they just didn't want to buy at the top. Yeah, extremely emotional. So Chris, I want to circle back to you. Not only is it emotional, it's psychological. So you're saying, according to your research, that 8 percent, it's a psychological level. And historically, obviously, rates have actually been higher. But this is actually for all the millennials out there. I know it's a psychological yeah. level, but have the economics of buying a home, have they changed dramatically from 20 years ago, the last time that we saw these 8 percent rates? Well, in some sense, they have, right, because of the run up in home prices as well. Right. If, if prices hadn't had that 40 percent jump that you mentioned, Right, the, uh, the monthly mortgage payment wouldn't nearly be as, as large as it is today. But it's the combination of those higher prices plus just the speed of the run-up in, uh, in interest rates. That's really the psychological barrier that uh, many are facing here. And we have to remember that uh, buyers usually don't look at the total price. They're trying to understand what the monthly payment impact would be uh, in terms of their affordability. And you have that uh, you know, 2000 2000 $200 uh, more monthly mortgage payments staring in the face, plus higher property taxes, plus higher insurance, uh, it, it really is a, a barrier to, um, to buying a home at this point. Yeah, it seems like higher for longer is not just interest rates in the Treasury market. Uh, Chris Doritis, it is great to have you here. Thank you very much. Diana, great reporting as always. Thank you both. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus more on the impact of higher yields and the headwinds that Charles Schwab's Jeff Kleintop says stocks will face from them. Stick with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Congressman Kevin McCarthy leaving the door open to potentially becoming the House Speaker once again. In an interview, McCarthy refusing to rule out a return to the position if colleagues Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise are unable to secure the speakership. The union representing Canadian auto workers at General Motors calling for a strike after failing to reach a labor deal before the deadline last night. The union represents about 4,300 workers at three plants. Country Garden Holdings says it may not be able to service its debt, the Chinese real estate developer failing to make a $60 million repayment today. 
Unity CEO John Ricciatello is stepping down from the company and will no longer be on the board effective immediately. This departure comes after Unity announced last month a pricing change that upset developers. And Samsung says its third quarter profit is expected to drop 80% from a year ago. According to LSEG, the effects from an ongoing global chip oversupply likely the key driver for Samsung's losses when it reports its results tomorrow. All right, we're setting up your trading day, getting a quick check on U.S. stock futures at this hour. Taking a look, still in the green across the board, looking like the Dow would open up about 70 points higher at the bell. But again, it's, open. it's very early. Now let's bring in Jeff Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, good morning. Great to have you here. Morning. Thanks for having me on. All right. So we saw the markets finish higher yesterday, despite some concerns about geopolitical issues in Israel and the Middle East in general. What are you expecting from the markets today? Uh, many more of the same. I mean, we were hearing from a number of Fed speakers today. I think it was interesting that yesterday's move up in stocks was really tied to Fed Chair Jefferson's echoing comments that higher yields would be taken into account when it comes to monetary policy, and that helped lower the market's perception of further rate hikes. And this focus on interest rates seemed to matter more to markets than geopolitical developments. All right, I want to talk to you about oil and the inflationary impacts. Uh, today, or at least right now at this hour, the oil market basically flat, but we did see a, a bit of a jump yesterday. Are you expecting the oil markets to move higher again today? Does that put pressure on certain areas of the, of the market? Yeah, the oil prices have moved up so dramatically. I expect them to remain firm. I don't know that they need to necessarily move higher. We'll, of course, be watching the developments uh, in the Middle East as they unfold. The supply situation is one that remains very tight. But, of course, Saudi Arabia has the ability to deliver more supply if there are material disruptions in global oil supply. But higher for longer doesn't just apply to yields. Of course, it applies to oil prices as well. It's one of the reasons why we still favor the energy sector, despite its incredible outperformance in the third quarter. All right. So one thing that you're looking at is free cash flow. Um, there's two different ways to look at it. Um, I know one of the ways we can look at it is free cash flow yield. You sent us some research showing that companies with better free cash flow yield, they perform better in recent months. Give us a sense. If you're going to put money to work today, focus on free cash flow yield. What areas of the market would you look at? You know, you're going to find the energy and the financial sectors, those that have the most free cash flow yield. And these stocks have done really well. They're a great hedge against higher interest rates and longer, higher for longer interest rates. A portfolio focused on the highest 20% of stocks by free cash flow yield have outperformed really since August of 2020 when rates began to rise. So you want to think about that and focus on that. You can find ETFs that focus on free cash flow yield by just focusing on equal weighted or fundamentally weighted benchmarks rather than the capitalization weighted ones that we're more familiar with. Yeah, just a second ago, we were showing the chart. So in the last couple months, uh, those have definitely outperformed. So again, I want to really focus on the day ahead right now. What are you expecting? I mean, there's just so many questions out here. Volatile day or do you think the market's calm back down? I think the market's come back, come down a little bit again. Uh, we've got those Fed speakers on the tape. I think we're going to hear more messages that the Fed probably is close to, to being finished with their work, uh, along with other central banks. We've got, uh, obviously, the Fed minutes coming up, but we've got start the earnings season later this week. We don't have any earnings news today, okay. but we'll, we'll, we'll get that later on. I think yeah, that's going to be the conversation uh, there. The Thank you very Thanks. much. And we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade, the tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. 
Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trade, Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.